We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chineo Gwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Bellato. For today's show, we have a special, unique, kind of different show for you guys. So for those of you who haven't followed along or didn't see me promote this shamelessly over the course of the last few days on Twitter, we did a live Q&A on the Locker Room app, which we hope to do again because it was a massive success. And we hope more of you guys who are fans of the show and ladies join the Locker Room the next time we do it. So basically how it works is on the app, we start a room. This one we titled State of the Giants. In that room, you join the app, you download the app, you join the room, then you click the microphone button and you click the speaker, and then we circle through and we click you in as the speaker and you ask the question into your phone and you get to speak with us we have a little banter back and forth so what you're about to hear is a live is a recording of that live q a with nick and i so without further ado let's dive right in hello and welcome to everybody joining us here for the big blue banter state of the giants address i guess you could call it a live q a where myself and nick filato the two members of the Big Blue Banter podcast, the Big Blue Banter boys, if you will. Though I don't know if anyone referred to either of us as boys at this point, besides maybe my mother and my therapist. But the Big Blue Banter boys are here to discuss the state of the Giants. We're testing this bad boy out. Really, really, really cool app. It is the locker room app. Basically, the whole point of this is that it allows us to interact with the fans in a live Q&A, we hope. Um, by jumping to the stage and the discussion as well. I'm still trying to figure this fully out, but it looks like if you guys want to jump in and ask your question, click the speaker requests. And it looks like Courtney is joining first to ask a question. Courtney, do you have a question? Do you want to talk shop with us? What's up, Courtney? Yeah, I just wanted to tell you, because I know you've been putting this up on Twitter. If you actually link your Twitter on Locker Room, you can press that Twitter icon in the bottom right, and it'll tweet out to your Twitter so people would have a link to click on to join your room from your Twitter. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Courtney. I will be doing that right now as we wait for some people to join the Big Blue Banter podcast and join in. I will be tweeting out a link. Let's do that now. 
Um, otherwise, Nick, are you on yet? Are you in the app yet, Nicholas? All right. Let's see. Speaker requests Nick Filato. Say what up, Nick. Yo, what's going on? This is Nick. Am I am I, am I set to be on for good now? You should yes, be on for good now. And it looks like Andrew Jones is joining us. I actually did a locker room with Andrew a few weeks ago, maybe maybe four or five weeks ago. Yes, sir. And yes, Andrew is the man. I think Andrew is one of the best, bright, brightest young uh, NFL minds on this app, from my my personal opinion, from spending time in that room. Loved the discussion. Thought he made like four or five awesome points that made me think. So, Andrew, what's up, man? Dan, I appreciate the kind words, sir. In fact, I think I have my um, clap sound effects right here because <laughs> that you didn't have to do that right there, man. For you to do that, no, I mean, you get the big class for that, brother. There we Thank go. you so much. There we go, Andrew. Did you have any pers- any questions about the Giants or are you just joining in? Oh, yeah. I mean, just, you know, first, uh, help be, this be your first main room that you're doing on here. Hopefully, many. And how you doing, Nick, by the way, too? Good to uh, engage and meet with you the first time. So, yeah. Yeah, Andrew, pleasure, man. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, everything that happened with Monday night, how competitive the game was, and and, um, and at least the effort from Joe Judge's team still being there, being competitive. But um, my thing is, um, how long of a leash does Daniel Jones have now before they think about going to Colt McCoy? And um, is, is really, is Dave Gettleman, is this fully now, you think, going to be his final season um, with the Giants, the GM? Because I can't see any other way um, he returns, considering the quarterback that he loved is really not producing at the level how he hoped he would be a franchise quarterback. Oh, oh shit. Dan. Andrew hops in with the big guns right away. Hey, hey. Yeah, I'll start it off with the first part of the question. I don't necessarily think it's realistic to go to Colt McCoy whatsoever because I feel like if the franchise is uncertain that this is Daniel Jones's team, they need to kind of exhaust all every option to at least evaluate him through this season. If they determine at the end of the year that he's not it and they go in another direction, then they can make that determination. Then I don't see any appeal for a one in seven team to bench your second year quarterback and bring in a guy who definitely is not the long-term answer. Yeah. I, I mean, Nick, it's something where I would have thought the Washington football team that they're playing again on Sunday, you know, would apply those same things. And, and yet, you know, they still, when they made their decision with um, Kyle Allen um, and, and the whole thing with Haskins. And it's something where in this division, you know, one in seven still has you be with a well <laughs> contending chance in the NFC least. So that's why I just, you know, ask that because I think, you know, Jones should be able to ride it out just in terms of seeing a young quarterback. But, I mean, like, it, based on the standards of, like, this division and all this stuff, I mean, I mean, who knows what it is and, and how – Joe Judge with how competitive a guy he is, if he, you know, if he thinks that or or thinks that McCoy would give him a quick good chance to win a game or two if Jones like has these moments of this more turnovers. So yeah, it's a fascinating thought. Yeah, I think to jump in real quick on that one, I think ultimately me and Nick are pretty in lockstep when it comes to benching Jones for McCoy to both of us makes no sense. Uh it would be a similar type of move we believe to the decision to bench Eli Manning for Geno Smith one that really gained nothing for the franchise uh Geno Smith long-term backup retread um so this one's even a little further along the lines of something that makes less logical sense to us because you got to see what you have in Jones you have to give him more of a sample size I long-term I'm fading on Jones for sure there will be more questions on that and I could dive into that a little deeper later because we have a bunch of questions uh, from listeners who couldn't make it but wanted to get on. But mm-hmm. as far as the second question goes, I think that one is even more interesting because you're right. If Daniel Jones proves to not look like a franchise quarterback moving forward over these next eight games, and ultimately he's the guy that Dave Gettleman can tie his entire general managerhood to. I personally don't think that even if Daniel Jones succeeds, I would want Dave Gettleman as the general manager moving forward. I think he's a very flawed <laughs> process and he has really – someone who with his flawed process in mind hasn't even hit on all of his evaluations which is really mm-hmm. leads to which really leads to somebody who's not 
an upper echelon GM and most likely in my mind, at least one of the bottom half GMs at, at the very, at, at being the very kindest. So for me, I think you make a great point though. If these next eight games, if we see continued regression from Jones rather than progress progression, um, I think you'll, I think you'll honestly see Dave Gettleman walk out the door. And, and to uh, touch on the Gettleman point, Ed Valentine on the Valentine's view podcast had Jeff diamond, on and he was a former NFL executive of the year. He says it's probably about a 50-50 chance that Gettleman returns, citing that COVID-19 could kind of assist Gettleman in retaining his job. That wow. that compounded with the injuries to guys like Saquon Barkley and mm-hmm. all the other injuries that they dealt with that the Giants and John Mayer may look at it as, okay, we'll give him one more kick at the can. So that's just another point of view from somebody who's kind of in NFL circles. Yeah. yeah. No wow. Wow, that's interesting, especially with this quarterback draft um, coming up next. If he um, gets a chance, if Jones doesn't have steady improvement in there in line, if not for the top two picks, but for guys like Trey Lance or Zach Wilson, um, that's going to be fascinating if he stays and fix another quarterback. Um, I mean, I I still couldn't see that happening, but uh, I think um, a lot of Giants fans, they're already trending towards that, just like with a lot of Jets fans in this um, area. (laughs) Yep, no doubt about it. All right, looks like we have a few other fans of the yep. show. Let me get out of here, guys. Jumping in. Andrew, yeah, thank you, man. Us, Andrew. Definitely. It. Yeah, hope the first of many for your day on here. You too, Nick. Appreciate Thanks, Andrew. You, Take Andrew. care of yourself, bro. Yep. And it looks like we got a few other speaker requests from some of the fans. For those of you who don't know, you can click uh, on the speaker request button and then request to jump in. So we're going to have Josh jump in, jump in right now and ask and see what he's got. What's going on, Josh? You there? Hey, what's going on? You guys hear me? What up, Josh? Yeah. Gotcha, bro. Hey, what's going on? Just want to say, uh, like, love the podcast. Love what you guys put together and put out there every week. You're my go-to first. Uh, I love the split between offense and defense. Um, definitely uh, look forward to that each week. But I just had a real quick question. Um, concerning a draft, like, do you think there's going to be more hidden gems this year being, uh, like, how, how COVID's, I guess, affected – NCAA football and stuff. You guys see more hidden gems are going to come to the NFL? Yeah, Josh, I think that's an excellent question. First of all, I wanted to say thank you for the note. Really appreciate that, man. I mean, part of the fun for us is interacting with the fans and how big this thing has kind of come from scratch. I never really thought it could come become this way, and we're hoping to continue to grow it. But as far as your question goes, I think it's an excellent one. A lot was made last offseason about how COVID was affecting the draft process and how, you know, teams would have to rely more on their actual scouting of these players and the work they didn't film. And I think that goes to show because, you know, you didn't have the pre-draft visits and to the same extent, you had the combine visit where they got the 30 interviews in, but that was kind of it. And then you had some calls and things of that nature um, that you would do with the prospects. But this year it's going to be a lot different because you don't see, you know, reports of like Dave Gettleman and the brass, for example, going to scout, some player right now you're not reading that and you were reading that a bunch two years ago I remember he went to at least one game of Justin Herbert's the year Herbert decided to return to school so you know that is definitely going to impact they're going to have to lean even more heavily in my mind at least on those scouting reports and on the film work absolutely absolutely and uh last year a lot of teams didn't have their pro days and that's a huge part of the pre-draft circuit this year we're not even 100% sure what's going to happen with the senior bowl with the combine with the pro days and you have a lot of conferences whose tape just isn't the same because the same amount of games are not being played by these players. It's going to take like extensive research on these guys who are going to be coming out of seniors from them from the redshirt sophomore seasons or their junior seasons. And it's, I think, the really skilled scouting staffs, especially obviously the college scouting staffs, will sort of prevail and hopefully find some hidden gems. I think there's going to also be a lot of projection in terms of how some of these younger players that you don't see as much kind of develop it's just uh it's a lot more i don't want to say of a crapshoot because there's still obviously i mean the, the draft in general is a crapshoot so i guess you could say it's a lot more of a crapshoot yeah and considering the draft in general is a crapshoot you would think you want more picks and more shots at it but fortunately that's not part of the dave gattleman process so hopefully hopefully he gets <laughs> these when he gets these evaluations correct this time all right thanks for joining us josh we're going to turn the room over to christian But before we continue, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. 
You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire, with 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month. Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over three million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. All one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. All one word. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day every day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's a BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. What's going on, Christian? Are you with us? Hey, Christian. Yeah. How are you, Dan? How are you, What's Dan? up, Christian? Chilling, bro. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about Daniel Jones's play from uh, last year compared to this year. And... As much as it doesn't seem like it, it seems like the offensive line has came together a lot more than they did last year. Do you think that his poor play could be a system slash decision-making type thing, even though obviously it is a little bit of decision-making if we saw Monday night? But could it also be kind of a form of the system he's in, you know, moving to a new system? I, I, I honestly do believe that. I think that's a huge part of it. And I think it also, not even just different route combinations and different terminology, but like even things as simple... It's not, well, I guess it's not necessarily simple, but things like setting protections with this younger offensive line. Like, I, if you look at that, that play, the interception, I think that was somewhat of a confusion with Daniel Jones to where he didn't see Darius Slayton streaking downfield and we're all ripping our hair out about it. But I think it's because they were blitzing him and he wasn't 100% sure where the blitz was coming from and he was trying to throw hot on that play. And once he realized that a specific defender bailed and that wasn't, that hot read wasn't actually there, it just kind of forced him to panic. So I think. He's not fully confident in this new system. I mean, he obviously had that truncated offseason as well. So I think that's an excellent point, Christian. Yeah, Christian, I think you're spot on there. I think it all should be factored in. It's tough to look at these quarterback evaluations in a vacuum. It really is because there's so many factors that go into it, especially like you mentioned with a COVID truncated offseason, where again, you're bringing in a new system and you don't have the OTAs. You don't have the mandatory minicamp. You don't even have, you know, there's usually what, what is it? 12, 14 OTAs, including a three day, really intensive mandatory minicamp and then a preseason to get some reps in as well. And none of that was really the same. All you had was the training camp and those blue and white scrimmages that we watched that really were, you know, a glorified scrimmage at the very, to say the very most of them. So it's definitely a factor here. I think ultimately, though, when it comes to Jones, you're seeing that some quarterbacks who are in similar situation as far as adjusting to a new system in this COVID truncated season are doing a better job with it. Um, and doing a better job with the processing of the system. I think personally, a big reason why Daniel Jones looked a lot better in Pat Shermer's system than he has so far in Jason Garrett's has more to do with Pat Shermer's system. I think in both systems, he was really relying a lot on what he saw pre-snap, but I think the high-low reads in Pat Shermer's system and the way that passing game was designed really benefited Jones because Jones is a passer who does like to throw downfield. You saw it against the Bucks when a team finally decided to play him heavy single high safety, you know, heavy, not, not giving that two cup, that two safety shell, not giving that three cover three look. And 
he saw the shots for the most part, with the exception of the Slayton play, where he just missed the missed seeing it. Um, and just the ball placement was off. So I think ultimately, like me and Nick have said, that game could have been had a completely different narrative. If Jones's ball placement was as it was for 80, 90 percent of the game since he entered the NFL, he's throwing for three fifty there, maybe three seventy five. I mean, there were multiple, multiple fifty plus yard shots that were right there for him. So as far as how he sees the system, I just kind of feel like He's still a similar processor post-snap. It's really a lot about what he sees pre-snap. Um, and he makes that decision where I'm going to you know, go based on what I see there. And until I see more improvement with the way he sees the field post-snap, I'm probably going to have this opinion. I think ultimately he's going to have to see those plays. He's going to have to see Sl- uh, Slayton on the deep route. He's going to have to see Golden Tate on the corner in the red zone that Ingram kind of saved his ass on. So you know, ultimately, I think the processing post-snap is really what's going to tell the story with Daniel Jones. <laughs> Yeah, I I was watching it and it seemed like he just struggled to like read like his and stuff. Yeah, yeah, he definitely he he was struggling because Todd Bowles was throwing a lot of exotic looks at him and I also think as Giant fans probably noticed this year, he's much more vocal at the line of scrimmage, trying to set protections and get everything squared away from a protection standpoint. And it hasn't necessarily worked. And it seems like he's being fooled from that pre to post snap look. And when his first read isn't there, or if he thinks he's throwing hot and he looks to throw hot and then that's eliminated, it just hasn't necessarily, he hasn't found that ability to adjust from that in a quick manner, which you see from elite type of quarterbacks, you know, he just doesn't see – I just feel like he doesn't see the field as as clearly as he could from a holistic standpoint when that one read isn't there and he, then he tries to go to the next read within that specific route combination, say if he is looking to the field and that's eliminated, then I feel like it's somewhat of a panic at times, especially when pressure is coming. Without a doubt. All right, looks like we got Mike on the line as Thank well. You. Mike Riley, do you want to jump in and ask a question? Yeah, guys. Thanks. Uh, love the show. First of all, um, thank you. So you're welcome. Uh, my question, I actually shot it to you on Twitter, but I'll ask a variant of it now is, uh, the line play seems so much better versus Tampa Bay, both in the, the pass and the run game, at least, you know, based on what I was able to see, I didn't hear your guys, uh, show on the all 22 on offense. So the, the question it raises in my mind is that, I mean, how much of that, should we attribute to maybe Will Hernandez just not being good? Well, I'll start by saying this, Mike. We What you saw is exactly what we saw when we broke down the All-22. This was the it's the, potentially the startings of an offensive line that's gelling, playing well together. And that's interesting because of the fact that, one, like you said, they had a new left guard in there, and two – Matt Hurt played a larger role at right tackle than he had been, um, played more snaps than usual there. And so I think it's a combination of a lot of things here. I think, first of all, this Bucks front is a little bit beat up. Without Vita Vea, they're not the same front that they were on the interior. They, you know, are set up to be that way in Todd Bowles' system. We all know what kind of system that is from watching Bowles in his days with the Cardinals and with the Jets and Rex Ryan, similar defense. But ultimately, I don't know if they had the dogs there. And I think you saw a lot of players have some of their best games. Andrew Thomas, arguably his best game. It's either this one or the Steelers, without a doubt. Nick Gates, I thought this was Nick Gates' best game. So that's another player who really stood out. And Matt Pert really helps in the run game. And then even a guy like Cam Fleming, who is pretty much a disaster when it comes to pass protection, that's fair to say based on the fact that, you know, he's allowed the second most pressures at the position and he's never really been ultimately that good of a pass protector is a solid player in the run game. And then you have Kevin Zeitler, a guy who consistently gets overlooked by Giants fans. There was a lot of talk about trading him, a lot of talk about him not being in the plans for next season, none of which me and Nick can subscribe to or even understand by what, when we watch the All-22. So I think ultimately it's a combination of things, the whole line gelling together and maybe playing a little bit of an easier front on the defense. Remember, this Giants team has played an incredibly hard schedule. So far, I believe Football Outsiders has the Giants having faced the toughest defenses, according to DVOA, of any team in the NFL, the Giants offense. And although the Bucks are overall a really great defense, as they proved, um, that defensive front is a little bit light, I think, without Bayes. So that, that's ultimately my takeaway there. Yeah, and as for the Will Hernandez-Shane Lemieux, I think Will Hernandez is a better player than Shane Lemieux. Right now, I think he's a more athletic player. I think he's better at handling initial 
uh, moves. I think that's something that Shane Lemieux definitely struggled with, initial power moves from guys like William Golston and Adamakan Sue. I think he, he struggled sometimes. Like, we, we really went over it on the uh, All-22 Offense podcast. Give it a listen, or if you're not going to listen, please give it a download. And I also wrote about it on Big Blue View as well. If you scroll down, you'll see that on their feed. I, I think Shane Lemieux is who he is. He's a fifth-round rookie, and I think he played – adequately for that he stepped in in a tough spot in primetime television but once you watch the all 22 you see a couple discrepancies a couple mental errors while you also see a couple good uh mental plays where he diagnoses stunts and he transitions well he messed up one stunt he definitely missed the blitz uh pickup that led to the giant sack that knocked daniel jones out of the out of the um out of field goal range as well i mean it looked like it was Deion lewis on the broadcast but it was actually shane lemieux so he struggled, but that's kind of what you expect from a fifth-round rookie like him. I think there's definitely promise there, and I like to have him on this team. It's just not as a starter. I'd, I'd rather have Will Hernandez, the upside and the athletic ability of somebody who is a little bit better at locating second-level defenders in space because Lemieux is not necessarily a space guy, much more of a phone booth guy. Do you guys think that maybe like the mental side is just missing from Hernandez's game? Because I, I did see that breakdown and you know some of the things you said about the the interior move or the uh, power moves getting to him quick and things like that. But I mean, some of it is just mental mistakes, like not in the right position. I mean, the giants have been terrible at stunts for two years now or three years now, you know, I, I, I see what you're saying. I wouldn't, I don't necessarily, I don't see too many egregious mental errors from Will Hernandez specifically. I see a lack of, cohesiveness sometimes with that left side of the line i also see nick gates sliding to the right a little bit more because they have cam fleming which puts will hernandez and andrew thomas frankly into a really unfortunate situation but especially will hernandez who kind of has to be cognizant of those inside moves sometimes that will that andrew thomas always gives up so i, I don't think that will hernandez is necessarily a liability from a mental standpoint dan do you do you disagree no, I think you're spot on with that analysis. That is ultimately not the issue, which is, uh, in my mind, a little bit more concerning when it comes to Hernandez. I, I wish I could point to a few mental things that he can clean up. I mean, you look at the job that, and again, it's a small sample size of this, but you got to give credit to Mark Colombo for what he did with the extra time working with Andrew Thomas this past week, because Andrew Thomas looked like a very different player on Monday Night Football than he had the few games before that. He helped him keep that inside foot down on those inside pass rush moves. And ultimately, it looks like he's helping him as a coach. And the same can obviously be said about the work he's done with Nick Gates, a guy who transitioned to center position basically this offseason. I know Gettleman mentioned he took a few reps there last season. Not really, though. He really didn't have much work there. And he's playing pretty well, all things considered, considering his physical limitations kind of at the point of attack. So. Ultimately, I, I think it's less so mental with Hernandez. I just think ultimately he's not the prospect Dave Gettleman. And most of us in the community, I mean, me and Nick both love that pick. I thought it was a slam dunk pick for the Giants, one of the better picks they've made in recent years. I loved watching Hernandez at college. He dominated at UTEP. But then again, sometimes you make that jump from playing guys at UTEP, the conference they play all the time, and whoever's on their schedule, uh, to playing NFL defensive linemen. And sometimes it's ultimately not there. Yeah, and he, I also saw Will Hernandez down at the Senior Bowl, too. And one-on-ones, which are generally designed to assist defensive players, he was dominating those, too. He looked fantastic down in Mobile. And it just – I don't think he's a terrible player. I don't think he's a bad player. I don't think he's a marginal player. I think he's an adequate starter. He's a guy that you can start on the offensive line. It's not going to be a huge problem, but he's just not that guy taking it to the next level. And that's what you're expecting when you draft a guard at the top of the second round. Yeah, no doubt. And I also kind of just to ch- ch- jump in there, completely agree with that assessment. Fine starter, adequate starter, not someone I would pay long term, though, ultimately. And I, I think there's a clear difference, at least from when I watch the tape of Zeitler versus Hernandez as Zeitler being yeah. a clear cut uh, upgrade there. I agree 100 percent. Right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, gents. Appreciate the insights. Yeah, hey, Mike, enjoy, enjoy your weekend, man. Thanks. You too. All right, looks like we have Michael joining us now um, with an awesome background picture. Looks like he's a big-time Nets fan with, with Kyrie and Durant. No, yeah, I'm a big Giants fan, too. I'm awesome. a big Giants, Yankees fan, and Nets fan. <laughs> Welcome, I man. I wish I had your teams because right now I have the Knicks, the Giants, and the Mets. But then again, right now, times could be getting better for the Mets as Steve oh, no, yeah, Cohen, Uncle Steve in the house. 
Yeah, the Nets. I think the Nets are going to be a top uh, three seed next year. They should, wow. They should, no, I think if they get it together, they should be good. But anyways, do you think Daniel Jones is the future quarterback, like a, a franchise quarterback? Ooh, there, there it is. There's the big question, yeah. Nick. You want to so tackle this first, Nick? Yeah, I'll go first. I think he can be, to be honest. And uh, Dan pitched a question. It was a, on a scale of, uh, what was it, 1 to 10 in the next five years. What do you think Daniel Jones is the starter? What number? Dan said 2. I said 5. And I, I still stand by that. I think there's a lot of redeemable traits that Daniel Jones possessed, but he has to show it now through the rest of the season. And I know we like I've made a lot of excuses for Daniel Jones this year. I think it's fair to make excuses given the – the current circumstances that the NFL season kind of what would happen with COVID and, and all of those kind of things. And I've seen Daniel Jones. He has solid arm talent. It's not spectacular. It's not Justin Herbert, but we've seen a lot of good glimpses from Daniel Jones. You love the grit, but he needs to clean up some of the pre-snap post-snap processing issues. And he needs to kind of maximize every opportunity because there are opportunities that he's leaving on the field. Even if it wasn't just Tampa Bay, there's been a couple here and there across the season where he had a guy open and he just didn't read it or he didn't react to when a safety rolled the way that you would expect a more experienced quarterback to react. But he doesn't have that experience yet either. So I'm trying to be fair to him. I honestly think he can be. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he will be. Yeah, that's a great question, Michael. And my take is also going to be a little bit more, more nuanced. There's not just a black and white yes or no. Whenever there's a question like this, it's impossible to have a black and white yes and no. I would say I also think he can be. But I would also say that I don't believe that he will be in five years. Like I said, two on a scale of one to 10 if he's their starting quarterback in five years. Um, and that's a long time from now. Remember, that would be through the rookie contract. That would be assuming he would get a second contract with the Giants. And at the same time, I also believe that if they have an opportunity this season to draft a quarterback that they have a really good scouting report on, I can only hope that they're scouting these quarterbacks hard and they're not set in their ways and just not scouting the position, which I, I mean, I doubt that would be the case, but you know, you never know. And ultimately I would say that if they have a really high grade on one of these quarterbacks, you take the chance to upgrade because you look at what Arizona's done to quickly turn that franchise around. They were dead in the dumps with Josh Rosen there, who uh, one of my biggest misevaluations um, of all time at any position. And obviously I'm not the only one. There are a lot of people in the community who like what they saw on tape from him at UCLA. But ultimately, that decision to not say, well, you know what? We liked some of what we saw with Rosen. Uh, you know, he has this to his game. He has that to his game. He can progress if we built him an offensive line. He can progress if we build him the right receiver room. He can play behind a really good defense. Instead of doing that, they saw a kid in Kyler Murray with really plus arm talent in addition to what he can do with his legs. And they said, this guy can transcend the franchise. This guy can make it so we can win. 10, 11 games in a season without a complete roster. We don't need to fill out the offensive line and the defensive line and the secondary and the receivers and the running back to win games. He can do it without all of that. And I think he's proving that this season. I don't think that Arizona roster is that good. They're really not great on the offensive line. And they, with the Chandler Jones injury, that defense is really banged up and ultimately not all the most talented defense I've ever seen on paper. So I think ultimately, if you have that opportunity, you might take it. As far as why I'm not convinced Daniel Jones will be the quarterback, it's a combination of a lot of what Nick talked about. When you don't have otherworldly arm talent, which Daniel Jones doesn't, and yet he does have competent arm talent. He does have enough arm talent. He shows off really good touch and the ability to change the trajectory and the placement of his passes on a lot of different routes to a lot of different areas of the field. But ultimately, it's not an other world arm talent. It's, you're not watching Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert. You're not watching Patrick Mahomes when you're watching Daniel Jones. So if you're that type of quarterback, what you need to have is the following. You need to have really good management in the pocket. You have to be, and what I mean by that is you have to understand your protection and when it's time to slide and reset in that little four-foot box in the pocket rather than escape to your right or drift to your left. And ultimately, it seems like Jones has a really big tendency this season, and this is more so this season than last season. So keep in mind that could be coaching, that could be adjusting to a new system, not trusting Andrew Thomas at left tackle, though. Again, Soldier was there last year, which wasn't too much better. Um, and then Remmers was a little better, I guess, than Fleming at right tackle. But ultimately, when you don't have the footwork down and you're not processing post-snap, it's tough for me to buy into you as a guarantee there or even somebody who I, you know, for sure want to bet on, put my chips in the middle on. If the Giants ultimately do decide this offseason to stick with Jones and draft a really good edge, 
with their top pick or another offensive lineman or something to that regard. It's not something where I'll pound the table and say, you know, this is a franchise altering move. They're killing themselves because ultimately if you bet on Jones again, and Jones is as bad as far as wins and losses go as he's been in these first two seasons, they're going to have another shot at another quarterback in another class. And this isn't like the 1980s NFL, Michael, where there's like one good quarterback prospect every four years and the rest are all reaches. Everything's changed. I mean, there was a time when Brandon Whedon would go in the first round and that now you got four kids in this class who are super, super intriguing um, at the quarterback position. I think you're going to start to see that moving forward at that position. So ultimately I think it's kind of a, can't go wrong type situation. But as far as your question goes, I, 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 if you ask me, I'm less confident than I've ever been that Daniel Jones will be the franchise quarterback moving forward. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I don't think so either. And yeah, as you said, like he misses, he misses like the, the wide open passes, but makes the uh, tight passes. As you saw, like that pass to Golden Tate in the back of the end zone, that was like a beautiful pass. But also like I see him, he tries to extend plays and I don't know why. Like they were saying, just throw the ball away, you know, throw it, throw it away. He always tries to make a play when it's not there. Like, I don't get it. I, like when I was watching him against the Bucks, he was trying to make play after play, like always backing up, trying like, that's not who he is. Like, you know, like just throw it out of bounds if you don't see a play there, you know? Well, yeah, that's another excellent point, Michael. It kind of goes in line with what I was saying with his pocket management, but it's a little yeah. different. That's probably the third you know, point of contention I would have with Jones. It's the amount of hero ball that he tries to play. Yeah, exactly. He really wants to make something out of every single play, regardless of where exactly you're right. He has to stop that. Yeah. I mean, ultimately he has to maybe stop that because he's not really on that plus, plus, plus level arm town level. Because remember, Eli Manning never really stopped that. And neither did, neither did Brett Favre. Neither did a lot of really good quarterbacks in NFL history. But at the same time, they also made bigger plays with their arm and, you know, with their decision-making, you know, reading the defense. And that's something we haven't seen as much of Jones. So when you just have that factor outweighing the other one where you got a lot of hero ball, but not a lot of huge plays to balance it out, I agree with you. It's something he would have to eliminate from his game. Especially because so many turnovers come off those hero ball plays. I mean, just review some of the plays that it's happened this season. The interception in the uh, in the what was it? The Rams game. The interception with the Steelers. These past two interceptions that were all yeah, from it's all this hero ball. ball. Yeah. yeah, so he needs to learn if he's going to do that. He needs to be so much better at processing in those really like minute, like just milliseconds to get rid of the ball at a at a time where he's not going to either get killed or make a costly mistake and i remember when it happened against pittsburgh i was like oh, he's gonna learn from this you know he'll def- and it's still going on and it's week eight and literally you can point to those two plays against Tampa bay and be like that's the reason you lost bruce arians basically said as much so you need to mitigate that you need to cut it i think there i think there's merit to being able to extend plays and try to get the most out of it but you need to know when to cut it off and he hasn't learned that yet exactly yeah all right, Mike, thanks for joining us. All right, nice here. talking to you guys. Have a good one. Hey, yeah, take man, care. Best of luck to your Mets next year. All right, looks like we got another question coming in from Jared. What's going on? Are you there? there? Speak. Let me, let me speak. Speak. Let me speak. Yeah, you got it. You got it. You there, Jared? Sounds like wherever you are, you're having a lot of fun. Yeah. Jared might be Jared might be having a nice drink right now. Yeah, wherever Jared is is where I want to be, actually, to be completely honest. Um Whatever you're up to, Jared, looks like you're having a good time, buddy. Um, whenever you join us again, though, hit us up. Uh, and, and for the meantime, we're going to uh, join join in now with Jan. What's going on, Jan? Hey, Jan. Uh, hi, guys. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, greetings from Germany, first of all. Um, awesome. So bear with me if I need to take a second to translate in my head. Oh, it's all good, um, man. Awesome. And how do you pronounce your name? Jan. Jan. What's going Jan. on, Jan? Love to have a guy in from Germany. That's awesome. Uh, well, I wanted to shift the focus to the uh, D-line a little um, because my main question revolving around the future of the franchise is how to address the D-line specifically, um, meaning what to do about Leonard Williams and Delvin Tomlinson and their um, extensions. Do you extend both? Do you extend one? Do you let them both leave? Uh, what do you do? I think there's a few possibilities uh, of how you might play it, but I'm curious uh, as to what you think about it. I think it gets 
Dan and I have gone back and forth on this and we're, I mean, I'm not even a hundred percent honestly sure what exactly they're, they're going to do about it. I wish I had a better answer, but I think you could try to franchise maybe Dalvin Tomlinson and see what Leonard Williams wants. But judging by what Leonard Williams kind of alluded to this offseason, he's going to want a big deal and it's going to be a lot of years. And you have to just go over kind of the Giants cap situation to see if they can actually afford that and to see if it's judicious to kind of put that much of your salary cap into one specific position because that's never necessarily a great thing especially if it's not a position like cornerback edge rusher or something along those lines or offensive line of course yeah i think nick nails this one jan i think it's a really interesting topic of discussion because you look at it like this from the thirty thousand foot view this is a giants roster that's still young that's still transitioning in year three of a regime and doesn't ultimately have that many really 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 plus players and that's exactly what dalvin tomlinson and leonard williams has been this season williams is a guy who previously has been racking up pressures but hasn't been able to turn them into sacks well this year he is converting them into sacks in addition to everything he offers in the run game and then you look at dalvin tomlinson a guy who literally gets so much push up front in the run game and not just in the run game he just manhandles centers at the point of attack when he's lined up no, uh, right on the nose against the center. So you have two guys who are playing such high level of football, but in the end, you have to really boil it down to opportunity cost, fact, the factor of opportunity cost, and also to roster building. Like Nick said, defensive tackle, interior defensive line, it's helping the Giants. It's a reason why the Giants were able to force the Buccaneers to kick that field goal to only go up eight and give Daniel Jones a chance to drive down and score a touchdown on two-point version. They made a stop on third and one. That doesn't happen if they don't have all three of Dalvin Tomlinson, Leonard Williams, and Dexter Lawrence on the field. But, Jan, how many times does that situation come up versus how many times a third and long comes up with the game on the line or multiple third and longs or multiple red zone third downs where you need those two outside corners to make the plays or a third corner? or safety, or in the sense, an edge rusher who can win one-on-one against those struggling offensive tackles across the NFL. So when you look at it from that standpoint, I think you do need to choose one of the two and not both. And when you also factor in with COVID, there's, the salary cap is not expected to rise, may even drop. So they may not be in a position to really afford to extend both. And when you th- factor in the third thing, the possibility of an Allen Robinson or Kenny Galladay, and preferably for me, I would hope it's be Allen Robinson hitting the free agent market. You could spend that money there, and you're in a better spot. So if you ask me which one at this point, I would actually go with Leonard Williams. And the reason for that being is something Nick brought up on the last podcast. It's that you can much more easily replace the nose position than you can replace what Leonard Williams is currently doing in Patrick Graham's defense because he's using him in a lot of different spots, and he's kind of using him as his 1A pass rusher, which is crazy to say because he's an interior guy, but he's using him on loops and stunts, and he's finding ways to get to the quarterback and disrupt plays. I think if you ultimately put Dexter Lawrence on the nose and put him in the position Dalvin Tomlinson is currently playing and then moved B.J. Hill into a role that kind of Lawrence is playing right now, I think you wouldn't drop off too much. You'd be a different defensive line. Of course, you'd have, you know, quicker guys and guys who can disrupt and penetrate faster and make more plays in the passing game potentially. And I also think you'd be it'd be very interesting to see Dexter Lawrence playing the role that Dalvin Tomlinson currently plays. He might add something to that role. Another thing, Jan, to consider is the salary cap with the twenty twenty with twenty twenty one. Right now, according to over the cap, the Giants projected to have about sixteen million. But that's with Nate Solder making about $16.5 million. Now, remember, Nate Solder, he opted out, and he had a reason to opt out. So his contract gets carried over for another year. Whereas if Nate Solder played this season, the Giants could have cut bait with Nate Solder and only lost about $4 million on the dead cap. This Now next year, if they want to cut bait with him, it's about $10.5 million on the dead cap. And another the fourth highest paid player, according to overall cap number for a season next year, is Golden Tate. With just under eleven million, I and there's only a four point seven million dollar dead cap money if you cut him. And I, given everything that's happened with Golden Tate over the last week and a half, I'd be surprised if he's a giant next season. So I think the cap space can go up. But I don't necessarily think it's going to be enough to to pay both of those guys what they're probably going to get on the open market. Yeah, thanks so far, guys. Uh, Follow up question though: um, Would it? maybe prudent to um, to focus on the coverage unit and keep the uh, the interior def- defensive line around as is because 
uh, while both may be expensive, especially Leonard Williams, um, you don't really want to take away from the team that's currently improving on defense specifically. And if we're looking at more advanced metrics, um, we can pretty clearly see that we're actually doing very well um, on defensive EPA on first and second down, but I think we're dead last on third down. So coverage over pass rush might actually solve that problem and we'd be going into a more Patriots-like direction, Patriots 2019, where they played a lot of two-gap, a lot of blitzing linebackers, and their coverage unit was outstanding. Well, and Leonard Williams will make the money he he wants, I think, because even the bad version of him will um, will find teams that want that skill set, and Devon Tomlinson pretty much not so, I think. Yeah, I mean, Jan, Jan, you should you should join the show as a third co-host. It seems like you have a really excellent grasp of not only how NFL defenses work, but how the Giants work and how they're trying to set up this defense and how the Patriots operated in 2019. So excellent understanding of the game. I think ultimately you make an excellent point, and Nick has said this before, keeping both gives them the ability to continue to two-gap like they have, and it really changes the way they're running this defense. Ultimately, though, I think they have the horses there on the interior defensive line when you consider what B.J. Hill can do. And B.J. Hill is a guy who, when you watch the tape, every single week when you watch him on All-22, he flashes literally almost every snap he has. It's not just with the penetration. He wins in the run game as well. So I think while he's not exactly what Tomlinson is and he might they might have to alter a little bit of what they do on defense, they can still prioritize finding that second boundary cornerback, which they ultimately have to do. They really need to find another boundary guy because then it will allow Cram to do so many different things. Right now, he doesn't feel comfortable running man pretty much because Ryan Lewis or Isaac Yidem is on the field. And finding that second corner to me is kind of independent from this because or ultimately, you know, if you like something again in free agency like they did with James Bradbury, they could essentially use the money they would allocate to a Tomlinson to an outside corner. So ultimately, I think they just have too many assets already at, ready for cheap on the interior defensive line. Uh, and again, DJ Hill's contract, I believe, next year is for under a million against the cap or just over a million. So. Again, I just think it's a it's a it's an asset thing here. They have so much invested in that interior defensive line that I do understand your overall point. Thirty thousand foot view. Why would you want to take away from what's working? But ultimately, it's one of the few positions they have the horses at. So I think they need to start allocating in other places. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, so that pretty much answers it. Uh, thanks for having me, and carry on. Hey, Jan, be well, man. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, Jan. That was awesome. All right, looks like we got Andrew again. Andrew, you got another question? First of all, I got to give Jan all the claps because, my goodness, that was better than some people on ESPN right now. I I agree. That was impressive. I mean, goodness. I mean, Bob Papa hit him up in terms of the (laughs) post game. I mean, wow. The one thing I want to say real quick, and I hope Howard does come up, but the one thing I want to say real quick for Daniel Jones is that um, I really do feel that um, Jason Garrett, Joe Judge, please let him run the ball more to help him out, particularly without the um, the absence of Saquon Barkley. And Wayne Gallman has actually stepped up and looked like the Clemson Wayne Gallman and not the Wayne Gallman in his first two-season NFL. But let Daniel Jones run the ball more. And and I don't mean for him to have, obviously, the memeable moment against the Eagles, but it is something telling that somehow Sam Darnold is the one with the long touchdown for New York quarterbacks and not <laughs> Daniel Jones, who can really run run. I mean, he did show to that Duke. He has the athleticism to do it. It helps any quarterback in terms of as long as they don't get hit too severely and they do get hit in the pocket too. But I think that that would be beneficial to let him be able to say, you know what, Daniel, keep the read. Keep the read on the option if we're going to run it from shotgun. Just pull, like, let it, let it happen. And the crashes, you go make that move, and and you see how it ha- you see how it led to that big game. But I had the touchdown if you didn't trip. So, I think that would make sense to help him out um, for for them to do that. And we've been talking about that on the podcast as well. You, uh, getting Jones into space, and I think they've done a, a at least they've done an okay job on the zone reads, which is ultimately up to Jones if they're going to 
hand the ball off or not. I, I would like to see maybe a bit more. You know, you brought up, you said option, and it, it just made me think, what if they implement the zone read with a backside option from, like, yeah. Shepard running the ball like that? I think that'd be a nice little wrinkle to move the football. You know they're going to have to – they're going to be conservative against Washington again, and they're going to have to try to be somewhat creative because they have to eliminate Montez Sweat and Chase Young. Mm-hmm. They can once again. You can't have – Daniel Jones dropping back, doing full progression reads or five-step drops consistently because those guys are going to win against these tackles. So we might see some more interesting wrinkles. I mean, we've seen them the last couple of weeks, and they've actually worked out. They haven't been disasters. So hopefully yeah. uh, we'll get to see that this week. Yeah. Jason Garrett called a great game on Monday, honestly. I mean, that was the game that a lot of Cowboy fans are wondering where the, where the heck that was. <laughs> um, the last two years, but he had Todd Bowles off balance, particularly in the first half. But I think that they still need to really utilize that. And uh, we're going to see this week with Young fully back for the Washington FTs, as I call them, in sweat and um, in the Reds in the RTs rested. So that's what I call them because I mean the football team. Look, they need to give me some pay on that one. No, I, I, I like that call, Andrew, because I've had. Sh- trouble on the podcast i've made at least four or five gaps where i've used, <laughs> used the old team name um, yeah and I, I don't really want to get and in, in, in any you know comments in my you know any anything in my mail or anything to yeah, worry about I mean, people that. need to stop they need to stop i mean i did it today honestly on the show like on overall today i i did it by just you know just slipping oh like damn my bad and everything <laughs> so yeah but it's something that is, is a thing that i think he it, it will be I think very, very, very true to them to do that, considering how ferocious that pass rush is for the FTs and how they're going to come back off this bye week still thinking that they can still win this division. I mean, both teams I, you know, can still think that. Yeah, no doubt. Yep. Appreciate it, guys. I, I'm, I'm going for good this time. Maybe Jared will come back uh, with his jewelry uh, set up because he got a funny comment in the, in the comment section. Oh, I Just like up it. in the comment section, guys. I will take a look. I will take a oh, look. Nice. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. See you, bud. All right, Tobias. It looks like we got you on, Tobias. Are you joining us, Tobias? Actually, it looks like Tobias was on and then jumped out, so I'm going to pop it over to Howard. You with us, Howard? Yes, sir. What's up? What's up, Howard? How you doing? Not much. I came here to say two things. I'm loving this show and go Patriots. Wow. Wow, Howard. You know, it's funny when it comes to the Patriots and the Giants. I feel like for some reason, Patriots fans like to jump in and say these things like, oh, Patriots, try to get in the minds of the Giants fans and the Giants commentators. But Giants fans got no no beef with the Patriots. I mean, you guys win everything. You've had so many Super Bowls. Who cares about the little Giants? We won two times. Let us have that. Let us enjoy that, Howard. Yes, I'm. I, I, it's funny actually, because there've been plenty of times in my life where people have like associated me as a Giants fan to hate the Patriots. And I never understood that whatsoever. It's like, I don't see why any Giant fan would have any animosity towards the Patriots because the Giants beat the Patriots twice in the Super Bowl. So why, why would the Giant fan hold any animosity towards that franchise? Yeah, no doubt about it. I think ultimately when it comes to the Patriots, the Giants can take a lot of things away. Joe Judge is from the Patriots way and the Patriots system. And everything that Patrick Graham's doing on defense to make this defense look a lot better than it honestly should, given what Dave Gettleman gave him to work with, comes from what he learned with the Patriots. So a lot of good things coming from there. Looks like we got another question coming in from Christian. What's going on, Christian? You there, Christian? Hello? Yeah, what's hey, going Christian. on, Christian? Oh, sorry, my wife, I cut out. Um, going back to the money topic, now, I know it's still two years away, but given Saquon's, I don't want to say injury history, but now this is two straight seasons where he won't have played a full 16 games, do you think it's worth giving him what he's probably going to want, around $20 million for when we do have to re- re-sign him? Because I think he still has one, one year left plus his fifth-year option, which we're probably going to give to him, obviously. Uh, yeah. I don't... Uh, see, I don't really personally think paying a running back that much is ever really a, a great thing to do. I think they should pick up his fifth-year option, evaluate, and then, I mean, I think the Giants are going to ultimately give it to him, to be honest. I think they're going to make him a face of the franchise. I'm pretty sure Dan has the same opinion, but uh, I don't like allocating that much cap to the running back position. I'm one of those kind of people. Yeah, ultimately, my opinion on this is different of what I think they should do, Christian, versus what they will do. I think the Giants, the the owners of the Giants, John Marrett and his family, 
run this like a business. And that is in, for us to argue against that. It's not really our time or place because it is a business for him. And in a lot of ways, he makes a lot of money off of owning the New York Giants. And so does his family. And so do the people he employs and the people who, you know, ultimately are part of the franchise. And so as a business, from a business standpoint, I believe that he wants Saquon Barkley to be with this team for 10 years, for fifth, or really as long as Saquon Barkley plays in the NFL, because it makes him a lot of money. I mean, Saquon Barkley is extremely advertisable. He's a great person on and off the, or off the field. Obviously, he's great on the field at his position. And he's somebody who is always high in jersey sales. Very, again, very marketable. So ultimately, what I think they will do is resign him. I think they won't even do what the Cowboys did, which was smart in the sense that they made Zeke play out that entire contract, pick up the fifth-year rookie op- option to keep cap flexibility, but then they paid him, which ultimately I think was a massive mistake by the Cowboys, and they will pay for that one as we, you know, I, most Cowboys fans, yes, right now, do they wish they had re-signed Zeke? They tell you no, because they understand when they watch Tony Pollard play, and ultimately at times this season, Tony Pollard looks, has looked like the better back than Zeke Elliott. I don't think he's anywhere close to Zeke, but when it's even a debate, when it even has to, you even have to ask that question, you know that you shouldn't be allocating that much cap space to a position like that. And so uh, for me, it's obvious they shouldn't re-sign Saquon Barkley, unfortunately for him, um, unfortunately for the Giants too, because they invested capital, the second overall pick. That's incredible draft capital. It's, it's hard to even fathom how much that is worth in any given class. And when you do that, you expect to get a player for 10 seasons for at least the second contract. Um, But ultimately from the very start, it was very hard for them to be in a win-win situation when it comes to that draft pick, because it's very hard to get value out of re-signing a running back for 20 million a year against the cap. And you really have very, very few examples right now in the NFL of a team that has done that. And then two or three years later, after making that big signing has been happy about that decision. It didn't work with Todd Gurley. And ultimately, it seems unlikely to work, in my mind at least, with some of these other guys who have been re-signed um, to those deals. So that would be my take there, Christian. Yeah, I completely agree. $20 million for a running back, especially when you could get a guy like Tony Pollard, who with the right offensive line can hit the holes and average five yards per carry. Even um, guys yeah. like James Robinson, undrafted rookie this year in a terrible <laughs> situation, who's absolutely balling out. And, and just, how about and, and and don't even forget how about Alfred Morris, guys? Alfred Morris is a guy <laughs> who comes in uh, off the wire. He knows the system. He's really going in for his, his, his second, second. You know, this is a revival year for him. Yeah. So I mean, when you can find an Alfred Morris for cheap, it's tough to it's tough to sign a Saquon Barkley, especially <laughs> if you get the offensive line. Like in, in my opinion, I've never like. Zeke is great at breaking tackles, just like Saquon Barkley. But the offensive line of Dallas is absolutely outstanding. Back a few years ago when they had everyone healthy, Frederick, Martin, Smith, Collins, and just everyone healthy, Zeke was picking up four yards, five yards alone without even being touched. Oh, yeah, without a doubt, Christian. You will will never find either myself or Nick saying that we believe running back is more important than offensive line. We're big believers that the offensive line is is ultimately – the deciding factor in a lot of football games, uh, especially when you when when you have the quarterback in place. All right, thank you guys. All right, that's good, Christian. Have a great. All right, it looks like that's it right now for the speaker request. This actually went a little bit longer than we even expected. We thought this would be maybe a thirty minute Q and A, so I'm really excited and happy to see that this worked out really well, and we had questions really for 55 minutes of this entire live Q and A. There are a lot of questions that were sent into us from people who could not make it. And I think what ultimately we're going to do, because we can't get to them all right now, it would be another 45 hour, hour long uh, of this. So instead, I think what we'll do for those of you who sent in questions and weren't able to make the show, me and Nick will tackle all those questions in a separate podcast that we record um, off, off of this. But as far as the state of the Giants goes and our live Q&A here on the locker room, this is a really promising start. And I think I really enjoyed this. Nick really enjoyed this. I hope all of you who came here to listen and to ask your questions enjoyed it so it's definitely something we'll do again as long as the demand is there so anything else you want to wrap up with nick no i think that's good we do have a lot of good questions from everybody and i want to thank everybody for joining us on the locker room app i hope you guys had fun just like dan said and uh we'll we'll definitely try to do this again yeah christian actually did you jump back in did you have one more thing you wanted to add Maybe not. Uh, Looked like Christian was in for a second. All right. Anyway, guys, thanks again for joining in on the Big Blue Banter live Q&A on the Locker Room app. And we will speak to you soon, and hopefully we get to do this again.
Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.